0: From World and the Christian Reformed Church in North America, this
1: is the Do Justice Podcast.
0: Well, hi there, friends, and welcome to another episode of Do Justice. Today, I am excited to be joined by Shannon Perez. Shannon is the director of the Indigenous Family Center, a Christian Reformed Church ministry with indigenous people in Winnipeg. Shannon is a member of the Seisei Dene First Nation and lives in Winnipeg with her husband and children. Shannon, thank you for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you. I mentioned, Shannon, that you're a member of the Seisei Dene First Nation, uh, a nation that was relocated under duress to a non-traditional location. Can you tell us a little of this story from your perspective?
1: learning about the story of the relocation. It was a story that I I did grow up with. I remember um, sharing and talking about it in high school, like writing a paper about it in high school. So it was, you know, um, my mom had grown up in Churchill. So she grew up right as a, as a young, as a baby growing up in that non-traditional land that was, you know, fraught with uh, a whole lot of racism and discrimination. And a loss of a way of life like that whole community that whole generation and even the elders at that time you know being having been lost their connection with with the land you know trying to raise little kids in unfamiliar territory a different economy a different a community that treated them with disdain and and you know with it like like trash they they were treated like trash
0: Tell us a little bit about sort of sort of where your people were and and where they were moved to, because it's it's a big distance, you know, and someone who someone who might be, you know, listening, it's like, well, I mean, you know, moving over to Churchill, Manitoba, that that's not a that how how bad could that be? But, you know, could we talk about the difference between, you know, the two places as far as the land and, and how your people lived? You know, in the traditional land versus how they were forced to live in, in the relocated space?
1: Yeah. So, our traditional land is northern Manitoba and into some of the land that we now know as Nunavut. So, you got like southern Nunavut and then northern Manitoba, like not close to Hudson's Bay, but more on the inside. And then the Dene actually go all the way to the, like to BC and to the West Coast. And all, it goes all the way there. So Saizi Dene means, you know, Saizi means East. So we're the most Eastern people. And so we're Northern Manitoba, the Saizi Dene you know, followed the migration of the caribou. That was their sustenance. So down south in Manitoba, you know, and to the states, the the bison were the sustenance. You know, the source of. And so up north, it was the it was the caribou. Every there's, everything was from the caribou, and so living. Um, you know, they had cabins that they went back to in seasons. They. You know, they followed the trap line. They followed the caribou. Um, so that was in the area Nunavut, southern Nunavut to northern Manitoba was their traditional land. So there was trees there. Um, trees. You go to Churchill and it's it's barren, you know. The landscape is is rocky. It's barren. I don't have a whole lot of trees. Um, not the same kind of um. Pantene Churchill was a uh, was an up and coming like army town, so there was an army base. Um, it was also uh, a port, you know, for the big boats and ships. So oh, it was a whole different economy from a traditional lifestyle of following the caribou.
0: So your nation received some funds uh, from the government to make restitution for these wrongs, and. You know, as you tell this story, was this a step toward reconciliation for you?
1: It, it was, a, it, it is a step. It was, and it was a long time coming. Restitution, could also say it was a settlement, wasn't compensation, right? It, it was, it was a settlement for what Canada had done wrong. So there was, um, it was a long time in coming, probably like the late, 90s, early 2000s was when it really started the process about um, the relocation and fighting. So fighting in the courts, bringing it to courts, going into the courts. And it wasn't until, um, you know, August 2016, when we actually got the apology, a formal apology from, from the government of Canada. So August 16, 2016 was when they, when we heard the apology from, from the government and that you know the settlement offer included financial money in the form of a trust an apology there still had to be land settled for the treaty um for treaty lands for the reserve for Tuduli lake so that still had to be not taken care well it had to be taken care of but that had to be also settled too so
0: and maybe just tell our listeners a bit like like because the names are, are coming a little fast, right? So tell our listeners like, where is Tadouli Lake as compared to where you know where Churchill was and where sort of your ancestral lands were, you know? Yeah. like, so, like give, give us a little bit of the of the geography.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you look on a map, um, Winnipeg is pretty much right at almost in the middle of Manitoba. If you were to go straight up, up north, north. And then you go right across to where Churchill is. So where those two lines meet, that's approximately where Tadouli Lake would be. So after the forced relocation to Churchill, um, a few years, I think it was about 13 to 17 years, there was talk about, it's not good here. It's not healthy. We should move back to the land. So Toodule Lake was one of the lands that they looked at that they felt that they could go back and settle in. They recognized it as land that they have used as part of their, you know, their route and their lands. It was a place that they have gone to in the past. So they recognized it and they saw that it could sustain a community. So Toodule Lake, straight up from Winnipeg almost. And then if you find Churchill, straight across and that's approximately where to Lake is
0: yeah no that that's helpful it kind of gives us a, a picture so from from the familiar to the unfamiliar maybe back to the familiar but we were talking about restitution we were talking about funds and and I think one of the questions would be you know like it it sounds bad enough to be taken forcibly Removed from your home, forcibly removed from from the land uh, and the space that is so familiar. Um, but could you maybe talk about the impact? You know, I had the fortune of being part of the, uh, the Hearts Exchange cohort, where I got to hear a little bit of this story. And in that, in in your telling of that story in that setting, you you talk a little bit about the impact on your family. You talk about your mom. Can you can you share a little bit about what the relocation did? To your family. What was life like?
1: For my mom and and people of her generation and, and the generation before and a generation, my generation. And it, it was it was tough. My mom had to grow up in Churchill, um, faced a lot of discrimination. So there was also on top of the relocation, you know, there was also residential schools happening in the families and the communities, right? So you had that layer. You also had the sixty scoop going on, so you had people being, you know, scooped off and adopted out of the community. You had that happening. You also had the missing and murdered Indigenous women happening, the violence against the men. Um, so you had all of those many layers happening in a, to a small community, and, and a result, well, from the relocation, they say about one third of community members uh, perished. And I would say unnaturally, you know, from uh, from the elements uh, of Churchill, from from violence, from fires. So it you know, it was a very there's a lot of tragedy um, that that was taking place in a short amount of time to, to people who are trying to cope with such a a, a different displacement you're looking. Your, you know, Churchill wasn't a place where they hunted. It, it didn't, you know, there was no caribou around. Uh, unfamiliar, unfamiliarity with the economy, you know, because there was uh, the fort, the Hudson's Bay Fort that also was there, so they understood trade and bartering and whatnot. But you cannot uh, can imagine the the stark difference of what it was like actually living in a town not just visiting and doing your your trade and whatnot and then going back to your community right you're living in this unfamiliar town for a longer longer period of time and wasn't friendly wasn't friendly at all she, again you know residential school 60 scoop the treatment of the women you had all of that going on at the same time
0: So this is, this is, you know, sort of the why of the restitution, you know, like why, why would, would the government seek to make restitution? This is, you know, sort of the legacy of damage and harm that came with this decision. I guess the question, you know, and this is something that we've been talking about throughout this series of shows, we're, we're centered on reconciliation. Um, But was this a step towards reconciliation for you? is, is that you know was and what what does it look like how have you experienced it
1: so was it a step in reconciliation i guess it was one step was you know feeling the apology hearing the apology um you know there is a for myself there is a feeling like okay yes there you know what we were feeling wasn't made up you know we went through something horrible tragic um it did a lot of harm you know we're missing a lot of family community members and and the ones that are surviving uh you know their quality of life isn't what it could have been right so um the apology uh it it really um that was a step that said yes like we were wronged so in that sense um I would say that is a step
0: Part of our our audience, uh, a huge part of our audience is uh, our church folk, you know, people who and and in particular in the Christian Reformed Church, um, you know, across North America and around the world. Can you tell us a story about what reconciliation means for the church?
1: Oh, that's a loaded question.
0: (laughs) Only only softball questions here, Shannon. (laughs)
1: Let us solve the world's problems. (laughs)
0: If we could, yeah, if we could just in this in this 30 minute space, if we could just solve all of that and give everybody a blueprint, that would be fantastic.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, So there is so like, you know, when I talked about like all the harm that was going on to the size Denny community, like the residential school, the 60 scoop, the missing and murdered, right? Those are all different layers. So even in reconciliation, there's different levels and and layers where you could, um, work on. And one thing, like, a a couple of things that I, I think of is, you know, sometimes at churches, um, there is a, a fear, or there's, um, a position where church and state need to be different, right? So you gotta keep that separate, you know, where you just think about the ecclesiastical stuff, the church, and, and stay with that, and, leave the other stuff for you know outside of church but there's a time and place where they do have to meet because you know we do have uh legislation called the indian act and under the indian act it governs legislates there's law for indigenous people and you know that that affects me so when we talk about reconciliation in a church and they're like we got to keep it separate well, if you want to reconcile with Indigenous people, you will have to look at, you know, the civil aspects too, because in trying to reconcile someone with myself, I'm under this law, you know, so you you can't separate it. Yeah. So in that sense, all of Canadians are under and have inherited this law as well. And how do you, you know, reconcile it in a way that everyone benefits with equity, you know?
0: Yeah. like that. I, and I think too, like, that's, that's something that can be, you know, like we ask, we ask kind of the big sort of meta question of the church, but even that same question can apply and the way you answered it to the individual as well. Like, like begin to ask the questions, begin, uh, you know, to, to find the information that you need, you know, like we, uh, at, at my church, we're reading the book, uh, you know 21 things you didn't know about the indian act i think that's what it's called i forget the exact name of the book but you know and that has been an eye-opening experience and i think it's helped you know our church but also us as individuals to be able to engage you know with the conversation a starting point i want to end on some you know exciting or or some good news how have you seen churches support reconciliation in a good way you know, and we've talked about Hearts Exchange. So maybe, you know, we could give a shout out to the Hearts Exchange program. I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm always going to be boosting that one. So that's a starting place. Maybe talk about that. But but what have you seen? What are you observing as far as this reconciliation journey from churches?
1: Yeah. So from churches, it's just all the steps, all the steps that people are taking. And um, you know, when I graduated from high school I wasn't quite ready to go to university I, I took time off and I worked in a restaurant business and I was in a staff room once and um they uh, uh a cook had commented that you know this all happened in the past what is you know to the effect get over it 200 years ago and I remember thinking no like my mom is still alive. It happened to my mom, you know, she was 40 years old at that time. Uh, it's very much present day. And I, I did go to university to to learn about it. I, um, I, I majored in Native Studies, it was called back then. And uh, I, I learned about it because I wanted to be able to talk to people and say, I have a, you know, I have a degree in this, like, you could believe me, you know, I'm just not um, playing the victim, like, there are facts, there's relocations that took place that that shouldn't have happened, you know, and coming out of university a little bit later on, I did go to, you know, go back to church, the Christian Reformed Church a little bit, and I went to a Canadian Indigenous Ministry Committee meeting, and i couldn't believe how um how people were in that in that one meeting people were open to indigenous people and being christian because while going to university um it was very secular um you i was learning all about the the policies the indian acts the the legislation land claims regarding you know indigenous issues so um there is still there is still a lot of harm that churches were doing and, and what wasn't being talked about back then about the harm that you know churches have done. So the steps taken, like being in a place where it felt safe, that you didn't have to be choose one or the other, because there was attitudes and legislation that made it so people had to choose. Hmm. That's a big step, right? Hmm. Um the the creation of the Indigenous Family Center and then the Indigenous Christian Fellowship and then the Edmonton Native Healing Center. Those are steps too, you know, uh finding a place where Indigenous people could come to without having to make sure there's a choice in their identity, right? So I think like what churches can continue doing is looking at why there is a fear or a mistrust with ways of being indigenous and and choosing to be Christian, trusting that God is is bigger than all of that. Yeah so there there are steps like and I see those steps. and then, you know, the, I want to say the explosion of the hearts exchange, like uh, you know, that started out as a, a small church group and it led to uh, a little bit more, formal with two cohorts, pilot cohorts, and then it, it grew into more, um, uh, more formal curriculum to going across country, and then it's still continuing, those are all steps as well. People are understanding the impact, where it came from, and the damage of having to choose when it especially when an identity hat was taken away you know because that was what the legislation was for was to to get rid of the indian right so um there is a lot of reckoning that has to come with with what was taken away identity is a really big what we really need to to work on with reconciliation too Identity and language, identity and, you know, self-governance, identity. Yeah, there's like all of those things, all of the parts that, you know, the church has to make it a church. Like all of that was taken away from indigenous people. Right. So now how do you support reclaiming, reclaiming all that was taken away?
0: Shannon, thanks for I think painting the picture with such clarity, but here's my concern. Here's my concern is that we'll have a listener. We'll have, we'll have some folks who are listening, who are saying that the decisions that affected your people, that wasn't my church. That wasn't me. I wasn't even here when, when those decisions were made. What do we say to folks like that? How, how do we invite them into this reconciliation journey?
1: Yeah, that's probably one of the things we have, you know, come across as well. That didn't happen. I didn't do that. I wasn't there. Um, again, happened many years ago. So a couple of things. I remember reading a quote and I'll I'll do my best to paraphrase just to, to try to get the uh the essence of the the point of what it was, but it was The former prime minister, Paul Martin, he had said, it was in an interview that he did, he's saying it was as if he was talking to his granddaughter and his granddaughter said all of that stuff happened. And if he can't say something to the effect that I knew about it and I made a difference, then he should feel guilty about that. Not feel guilty because he did it, but feel guilty because he didn't take any steps to make a change. And, you know, I still think about about that, right? Like where, what can you do to make a difference? Like we all live in this place called Canada, whether we were born here, whether we came here. So we're all a part of, by living here, we all inherit it, you know, Um, indigenous people, We get taught the treaties. Our people talk about the treaties. We talk about, you know, what, you know, the benefits that we get from the treaties. A a bit they're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But um, we also understand the injustices that are facing us. That because, you know, provisions that are that in the treaties are not honored, right? But the other people that live in Canada that are not Indigenous are not being taught that those treaties, those commitments between First Nation people and the Crown, right? So going back to that that quote, if I didn't make a difference, then I could feel guilty. I should feel guilty for not making a difference. And, um, you know, learning the history, what a lot of Canadians haven't been taught, there's also reckoning with that as well, because, you know, Canadians weren't given the chance to To meet those, not the requirements, but the honor and keeping a commitment, right? There's integrity in that. And a lot of Canadians also weren't given that opportunity to keep the integrity of the treaties if they weren't taught about it.
0: Shannon, I want to say thank you. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for uh, sharing your story. And, and thank you for the grace and the, the invitation that you give us um, to learn more, to go deeper. Um, our guest today has been Shannon Perez and if you want to learn more about what the Christian Reformed Church is doing in the area of Indigenous ministries, in the area of reconciliation, you can visit crcna.org indigenous. You will there learn all about the Hearts Exchange Program. You can have, read articles on what it means to invite an Indigenous speaker into your church, into your space, um, and find deeper paths of learning and learn to be agents of reconciliation. Thanks again, Shannon, for being with us today.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me.